I've often said that God has clearly mistaken me for a much stronger person. And that truth was never more evident than in 2008. Somehow, within the span of just 12 short months, I went through nearly every emotional response imaginable and in wildly unhealthy doses. Maybe I do everything in an unhealthy way, but maybe it's not even possible to really live without feeling like you're milliseconds away from dying most of the time. I mean, are we here to play it safe or are we just here to play it and see how many times we can cheat a heart attack? Who knows? I'm Jacob Slayton and this is my entire life. So I failed to mention at the end of last episode that in late 2007, pretty close to when we got back from Italy, my wife and I got pregnant. And it was basically intentional. Um, You know, we know how it works and everything. But uh, yeah, we got pregnant. And it was really exciting. We wanted to have a kid. We were ready to have a kid. We thought we were ready to have a kid. You're never really ready to have a kid. But we wanted to have a kid and we got pregnant pretty quickly. So in early 2008, my wife is fairly pregnant and our due date was around like the third week of April and we were super excited about it and just just psyched out of our minds, scared, nervous, all the things that you are when you're about to have a baby. I was still working my job at uh, BCC and... My wife uh, was still teaching at Little Rock Christian, and around the end of the school year, right about March, actually, uh, she decided to quit her job. We we discussed it, and she quit her job so that she could, you know, um, sort of have the last month of her pregnancy without working and, and kind of just uh, get the house ready for the baby and all that stuff, and, and then to be a stay-at-home mom, you know, after we had the kids. So we were we were super excited about that, and some point in the afternoon of April 23rd, 2008, uh, my wife called me and said that, um, you know, she was pretty much going into labor. She had, she had been, uh, calling me and stuff throughout the day and, uh, you know, just kind of keeping me posted cause she was having contractions and everything. And we were actually, uh, like a, a, about, um, I feel like it was about a week overdue. So it was like about time. We had actually been to the, uh, doctor that morning to just kind of have a checkup and everything and see how she was going. And, and, and she was like uh, already dilated a little bit and everything. So we felt like the baby was coming very soon. So anyway, she called me and said, uh, you know, now's the time. Come on home. We're going to have a baby. You know, I think it was like two o'clock in the afternoon or something like that. And so I pretty quickly passed off what I was doing at work and uh, rushed out the door uh, and, and headed home. And, you know, at this point, you know, if you're a father, you you know what this feeling is like going in to have your first baby. It's insane. It's crazy. It's wild. There's there's no preparing for it. Um, and if you haven't done that yet, all I can say to you is pay attention and don't forget it because it's a wild, wild day. So I got home and our doula, Cora, was already at the house. And she's super cool. She's like this very, like, calm sort of hippie, sort of earthy kind of chick and just this very mellow kind of spirit. And, you know, we love Cora so much. And so she just calms everybody down right away, you know. And so I come in and it was kind of chill and they were just kind of sitting there and, you know, Makai was having a contraction every now and then. And, you know, they they were serious, but, you know, they were manageable, I guess. And, you know, so I just kind of hung out and you know, asked if I could do anything. And actually, um, one thing that I, that Makai had asked me to do like a week before was to make like a, like a birth playlist, which is like the perfect job for me. And so it's kind of funny. I sat down to start making the playlist and, um, it ended up just being like entirely Seeger Ross songs, which is like the perfect birth music ever. You know, if you ever listen to Seeger Ross, it's just like chill and kind of beautiful and magical and, you know, you feel like there's like fairies and, you know, elves kind of nearby and, you know, everything's really cool. And so we're listening to Sigur Ross and just kind of chilling. And, you know, the afternoon goes by and then then around about eight o'clock or so, 
you know, Micaiah says like, hey, maybe you should check me to Cora. You know, maybe you should check and see how far I've progressed. And so Cora, you know, checks her and everything. And, and you know, it's kind of funny. You could see her face and she kind of made this face once she kind of checked it. And she said, yeah, okay, we need to go. Uh, and so we're like, oh, wow, okay, awesome. And um, so we jump in the car and start driving down to uh, Baptist Hospital and, you know, pull into the, uh, I remember pulling into the parking lot and there's speed bumps as you come in. And I remember rolling very carefully over those speed bumps because I didn't want anything moving that wasn't supposed to be moving yet, you know. And so we, uh, we, we drive into the parking deck and go all the way up to the top and there's a area that says um, where there's like maybe five or seven parking spaces and it says reserved for maternity patients in labor. And I had visualized parking there. We had, you know, we had already kind of done a trial run so we knew exactly where we were going to go and everything. And so I parked into one of those spots and Cora pulled in right behind us and, you know, we get out of the car and we've got our kind of bag of stuff and everything and we start walking in and we kind of have to walk across this like um, uh, footbridge like this, uh, area, this thing that connects the parking deck to the hospital. And I remember we were walking in there and this lady was walking out and we're walking in and Micaiah is very pregnant and, you know, it's clear where we're going and everything. And this lady, uh, she worked at the hospital and she said, oh, okay, do you guys need a wheelchair or anything? And because Micaiah had stopped and was having a contraction like right there in the hallway. And so the lady says, can we get you a wheelchair? And Micaiah said, no, I think we got it. You know, she's just super chill and you know, Makai is the kind of person that, you know, can be a little bit, um, uh, you know, she can have anxiety and she can kind of get worked up and get nervous and stuff about things that, um, I don't know, about a lot of things. But when it comes to like very serious things like having a baby, she's as cool as she can be. And she just kind of turned from this person that kind of sometimes has a lot of nervous energy to like a mother who was about to do her job for that day of having a healthy baby. And I had no doubt in my mind that she was going to do flawlessly. So it was just really cool to get to see that. It's, it's cool to get to see your wife or your spouse or your significant other do anything difficult or challenging. uh, It's inspiring and it's awesome. And it makes you really fall in love with them in a new way, you know? And so she had the contraction. We turned down the wheelchair. We walk into the labor and delivery place and Cora had called ahead and, so they had our room ready for us, and we go in the room, and Micaiah puts on the, um, you know, the, the, the gown, you know, sort of thing. And, you know, we kind of settle down and get comfortable, and she's having contractions and stuff. And, you know, nurses come in, and they're checking us in and putting on monitors and stuff. And Micaiah and I had both decided, but it was really her decision, that she wanted to have a baby naturally. You know, no drugs at all. Totally naturally, absolutely no drugs. And, you know, that's how mankind has had children for, like, the entire history of mankind up until, like, the last, I don't know, 50, 80 years maybe. I don't really, you know, not very long. And so I was like, baby, you can do it, you know. And so that was the plan. And we sit down in the bed. They're checking us in and all this stuff and, you know, getting ready. And basically, you know, we keep progressing. And she's going through these, you know, serious contractions and stuff. And it's like painful and crazy and you know all I was doing was basically just holding her hand and you know trying to help and Cora was really doing all the real work which is giving like actual practical advice that she knew you know from experience and being a doula and she was also giving Micaiah like massages in different areas and just kind of helping the whole thing and just mainly setting the tone of like this is going to be a chill space you know and that's what I wanted, and I know that it was helpful for Micaiah too. But we're going through the contractions, and everything's happening and stuff, and the doctor comes in, and her water hadn't broken yet, and the doctor checks her, and her water breaks, like, all over. The doctor is kind of funny, and, and he's like, well, I better go change my underwear, and so he, like, walks out, and, you know, totally cool guy. And Anyway, then then everything, like, slows down massively uh you you think the things are going to speed up after the water breaks and it kind of did for a second but then it slowed down a lot and anyway long story short midnight comes and goes and you know about 12 30 or so 
she's really starting to push again. And for, for the first time, she's, she's really pushing hard and stuff. And we're really trying to have the baby and the doctor's in there and everything. And, you know, it's just so exciting and crazy and wild. And meanwhile, my parents uh, were in the waiting room, you know, excited out of their mind. And, you know, my mom is like trying to peek in every doorway when she gets a chance and stuff. And she really wanted to be in there, but you know, we, we wanted to just have us and everything. And so it was just cool. Everybody was kind of waiting and you knew, that, you know, it's just a big deal. And, you know, we're pushing everything. And all of a sudden, you know, there's heart rate monitors on the baby, like through the belly, I guess. I don't really know how that works, but uh, the baby's heart rate starts to drop significantly. And all of a sudden it's like beeps and monitors and sounds and they're sort of rushing around and they're given oxygen and things like that. And, you know, it was just kind of a crazy for a second. And the nurses are saying like heart rate's driving, blah, blah, blah. And it's just kind of wild. And I remember the doctor um, who's who's just like a super chill guy um, gets really um, heated for a second. And he stands up in front of Makai and he goes, get that baby out here now. You know, and I was, we were just like, oh, shit. And uh, and I remember I grabbed Makai's hand and I got in real close to her ear and I said, babe, it's now or never. You got to do it now. Let's do it. And she gives it this one like earth shattering push. The head pops out. The baby pops out. And it was just, you know, it, all of the insanity of having a baby, you know, and baby comes out. We knew it was a girl. We had already chosen her name, Emma. In a couple seconds, they've got her cleaned off and checked and everything's fine. And they put her on Makai's chest. And, you know, it was just so cool. And Makai's laying there with the baby, and she just says to her, hey, Emma, you made it. You know, it's like so exciting, and we're crying, and it's like, oh my gosh, like you can't believe how insane it is. And, um, you know, everything's good, and we're just kind of having those sort of special first moments with the baby and everything. But the thing that stands out to me outside of just having a healthy baby, a beautiful baby girl, and being so proud of my wife for me as the dad, you know, I'm just kind of standing there watching it, right? And, um, you know, you're just filled with this, you know, whole new emotion. It feels like somebody just like jammed a whole new heart inside your chest that's beating and just, you know, you're just kind of losing your mind. And, and I'll never forget, you know, after it was time to, uh, you know, bring the parents in and let them let them see their new grandbaby, you know, they, they open the door and my parents come in and my mom goes straight to Micaiah and the baby and she's loving on them and kissing on them and praising God and all this stuff. And, and I'll never forget, I'm staying there. My parents come in and my dad uh, doesn't even look at the baby or Micaiah. He looks straight at me when he comes in. He walks straight up to me and he <laughs> puts his hands on the sides of my head and he looks me dead in the eye and I'm crying and he goes, now do you know how much I love you? And it was like, jeez. <laughs> like, just the whole heart of love bursts open, you know, in these moments. And it was just magical, you know. It's just something I'll always treasure, you know. And uh, so we had a baby, you know, and everything was good. And, and uh, it was like shortly after 1 a.m. on April 24th, 2008. And, uh, you know, after a while, they, you know, move us into, like, the overnight room, and, you know, we're exhausted and everything. Micaiah's, like, beyond exhausted. You know, she just had a baby with no anesthesia whatsoever. I mean, definitely maybe the most difficult thing that a human being can do, honestly. So she's wiped out, and I was looking forward to doing what I could do to kind of help take care of the baby. And if you've never had a baby at a hospital or at all, you know that, you know, the mom's going to go to sleep pretty quickly, you know, and in the hospital, they've got Micaiah in the bed and I've got my little, you know, sorry excuse for a bed next to the real bed. And then they've got the little cart in there with Emma, you know, a brand new two or three hours old kid. And she's wrapped up and I don't know what to do, you know, and she's crying, you know, and so I'm trying to keep her asleep. So I pick it I'm picking her up and I'm kind of patting her and rocking her and, you know, give her the shushing sounds and stuff. And we've got like a sound machine going in there and nothing was working. She was just screaming. And it was like one of those things where like she had already eaten and she had already pooped and had a clean diaper. And like, there's pretty much nothing else you can do besides those things. And so 
I was just trying to keep her quiet so Makai could sleep. And I'm standing there, like, rocking her and standing there. And you know what it's like to, like, rock a, a crying baby. Like, it's kind of panic-inducing. It's crazy-making, you know. And you're really kind of using your whole body if you're doing the rocking motion just right and stuff. And I remember I've got this photo where I'm, like, standing in my T-shirt and my boxer shorts. And I'm, like you know, holding Emma and trying to pat her and stuff. And I had my phone and I had a bunch of music on my phone. And uh, I was kind of just trying to play all different types of music for her. Like, because that's kind of always been my thing to like soothe me, basically. And so I was trying all these different songs and stuff and nothing was really working and kind of trying a bunch of different stuff. And then I put on this song um, by Bob Dylan called Wigwam. And if you know that song you know that there's not really any lyrics. It's just like this beautiful, like almost like a waltz kind of a melody and horns and Dylan just kind of singing, not words or anything, but it's just beautiful. And I played that song. And as soon as the horns came in on that song, Emma just went from kind of red face crying to just like calm. She just relaxed and her eyes opened and you could see that she was hearing something and and she just was quiet you know just quiet and i put that song on repeat and i stood there and i rocked her with that song on repeat for probably three to four hours that night and and so i've got this great photo of that um, because by the time the morning came around a sunrise came around makai woke up and the song had been playing and the baby wasn't crying and makai got this picture of me you know, just kind of doing my dad thing. And like, that's when me and Emma bonded, you know, it's like, all right, you know, we, we both love Bob Dylan, baby. <laughs> and it's just so special. And now every time I hear that song, you know, um, it takes me back to that, that moment, you know, where uh, my daughter became a music fan day one. I love it. I'll never forget that. So after a day or two at the hospital, you know, everything's going well. Um, baby's healthy, mom's healthy and everything. We pack it up, we head to the house and, you know, we, we take our brand new baby home. And then you kind of are just playing house again. If you've ever been in a house with a brand new baby, you know that the lights are off all the time. It's super chill. It's super calm. And you're just trying to make the peaceful sort of environment. But sadly, Emma was not a peaceful baby. Um, she honestly, no, no exaggeration, no lie, she screamed and cried. It seems like every waking second for the first nine months of her life. I mean, straight. And uh, it was rough, man. It was rough, you know. Like, And like, don't get me wrong, we had nothing, have nothing but love for that baby. But man, it it's crazy making. Like I said, it's just insane. You know, Micaiah's this new mom and she's trying to do it right and she's feeling discouraged and I can't really help much anyway because I couldn't really feed the baby. We weren't doing bottles yet and I got really good at um, changing diapers and doing the swaddle wrap and everything but and rocking the baby. That was about all I could do. And one thing that we did a lot, that, that I did a lot that was really kind of special for me was Anytime Emma was awake in the middle of the night and it wasn't time for her to eat, um, you know, I would uh, I would swaddle her up and just take her outside. And we still lived in Hillcrest at the time, and we would walk um, down from our house. And you know, in the summertime, you've got that sort of cool night air, and it's kind of humid and sort of nice. And for some reason, like babies just kind of like that humid air. And when you get outside in the dark, you kind of realize how quiet it is outside and it kind of quiets your spirit too, you know? And so that's what, what I did with Emma and we would walk around and she wouldn't cry when we were outside. We would just walk down the street and we would go down to this little church right down the street from us called Holy Souls. And um, they have this beautiful courtyard with these big stone statues of like the saints and Mother Mary and Jesus and angels and just cool stuff. And we would walk around and just look at the sculptures and touch them. And, you know, they had a little fountain in there and we would just kind of look at stuff, you know, and it was, that was kind of our special time. But for the most part, she was, she was screaming a lot of the time and it was rough. It's just anxiety making, you know, it's crazy. So we had the baby and Micaiah's at home, staying home with the kid. And I think I got like three or four days off of work and then I had to go back to work 
uh, at BCC where I was the project manager. And so I go back to work. And at that point, it was like I had already not been loving my job before the baby. And after the baby, it was like, I don't want to be here. You know, I want to be at home with my wife and my kid doing the things that I want to do with my life. I don't want to be tucking my shirt in in this stinking office calling concrete guys because they're late. It just was so insignificant to me. And so, you know, it just kind of, it was not, I was not loving it. And, but we go through the summer and everything. And in August, I had my one-year evaluation where I sit down with my bosses and we talk about my job and everything. And, you know, honestly, to my surprise, they gave me a 10% raise. And uh, and they bumped me up to $50,000 a year, which I was stoked out of my mind about. You know, like that's that's real money. And in my mind, I had this milestone in my head, like when I get to 50K, you know, we'll be good. And, uh, you know, oh gosh, how wrong I was. But um, uh, so they gave me the raise. And then at the same time, they told me like, I, I need to work a lot harder, you know, and I was like, okay, well, I don't know. It didn't make a lot of sense to me. Like, you're giving me a raise for a good job, but I need to work harder, which is it? Anyway, I wasn't complaining. I got the raise. But I'm still just dreaming about photography, you know, and at that point in time, I had saved up enough money to buy, like, a decent camera. It was a Canon Rebel, um, not even the best Rebel that they had at the time, but it was a Canon Rebel, and uh, I had, like, two cheap lenses, and I was uh, shooting weddings uh, as a second shooter for a friend of mine, Ashley Carson, who was um, uh, a, a great photographer, is a great photographer. And I was lucky enough for her to, you know, hire me. And I, I was, uh, I, I had known her from high school and everything. And so, you know, she was actually uh, at that time like a super um, well-known wedding photographer. And, and uh it was, she was a really good person to get in with. And I'm so thankful that she let me shoot with her. And uh, so I had shot a few weddings with her and I was having so much fun with it. And actually one time she paid me with a lens. Like she offered, I mean, she had let me borrow a lens for this wedding. And she said, um, Hey, uh, if it's okay with you, um, why don't I just give you that lens instead of paying you this time? And I was like, that is perfect because that was a hell of a deal to me and I needed a better lens. So she gave me this lens, and now I feel like I've got the right gear, at least to do what I felt capable of doing. And I was like learning photography stuff on YouTube, and you know, I, was, I had bought a couple of like DVDs and just just learning everything I could about it. I was loving it, and at the same time, in addition to shooting weddings um, with Ashley as her second shooter, I was also doing um, some like you know family portraits and kid photos for friends and things like that here on you know here and there on the side and and I was just loving it. I was so excited about it. Every time I got to do it, it was so much fun. And I was making a little bit of money, not not really much, but I was making a little bit of money with it. And then the summer ends and fall rolls around. And on November first, Saturday, November first, two thousand eight, I shot my very first wedding by myself. I had my own wedding to shoot. It was for um, one of Makai's good friend's little sister was getting married and they paid me $300 to shoot it, which is honestly about what I was making to second shoot a wedding for Ashley. But, you know, they had a, they didn't have a lot of money to, to spend on things. And, you know, I was like just super, super excited to get that wedding for myself. And so I remember I drove up to uh, Bella Vista uh, to shoot the wedding. They actually got married at the same place where Micaiah and I got married. So that was fun. And, uh, you know, shot the wedding. And I remember, like, I was just having so much fun. Like, I was enjoying my job more than I have ever enjoyed any other job ever. And I just felt like I was crushing it. Like, I was getting all the shots I wanted. And, you know, I was kind of exercising my creativity and just having a blast with it. And I remember walking around at the reception and just shooting photos. And I was, I was, it was like I was just walking on air. Like I've just never been that happy about a job like ever before. And I was just stoked out of my mind. And I remember saying to myself, like, okay, this settles it. It's official. This is what I want to do with my life. I got to get this photography thing going full time so that I can quit my job and, and do this, you know. In my mind, that idea was so far away. It was, it was such an unattainable dream, but it was also like, maybe I can do it, you know? But, but it was so far away, like this ever happening. 
So after the wedding, I drive back to Little Rock and on Monday morning, Monday, November 3rd, um, this is, uh, where my troubles began. <laughs> um, I go into work on Monday, November 3rd, and I get a cup of coffee and I go into the weekly Monday morning project managers meeting. You know, we sit around the table and we go around and we talk about the jobs that we're working and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, it was, it was basically insignificant. You know, I reported on a couple things, blah, blah, blah. And, but the main thing that we talked about was the very next day, Tuesday, November 4th, was going to be the election of, uh, it, it was the election between Barack Obama and John McCain. And, you know, we didn't know who was going to win at that time. And I remember sitting around in the uh, project managers meeting, and basically everyone that worked at this company was hardcore uh, Republican and just kind of, uh, you know, it, it, there's nothing wrong with being Republican. But these guys were kind of into some wild, ridiculous conspiracy theories that I just didn't identify with. And I remember my boss said, he goes, well, boys, uh, tomorrow you better go uh, you better go buy as many guns and ammo as you can because tomorrow your rights are going to hell in a handbasket. You know, and everybody goes, yeah, that's right, you know. And uh, I just couldn't handle it. <laughs> I just couldn't handle it. It was so stupid. And I said... Uh, I said, you know, because um, everybody thought Obama was going to win. You know, it was pretty much a sure thing. And I said, uh, you know, he doesn't actually become president tomorrow, right? <laughs> and everybody looked at me like, you know, it's like, it was almost like they didn't really realize that. You know, he doesn't get inaugurated until January. Okay, there's plenty of time to stock up on guns and ammo, you guys. And I, and I don't know, maybe, <laughs> not to say that that statement led to the next thing that was going to happen that day, but... It didn't help my chances very much. So we end the project manager's meeting and go back to my office. And about um, 10, 20 minutes after I got back to my office, uh, my little telephone intercom, uh, you know, buzzes. And I hear my boss go, hey, bud. And I said, hey, man. And he goes, hey, could you come in here for just a minute? And he had that, like, serious tone of voice. And I was like, oh, gosh, here we go. I grab my coffee and I walk into my boss's office. And my other boss is in there too, both of them, both of the owners. And uh, they're sitting there and I thought, oh gosh, this is going to be bad. Like they're either going to tell me that I did something that cost them a shit ton of money or they're about to fire me. And uh, sure enough, my boss said, Jacob, uh, you were one of the last ones to come in here and you're going to be one of the first ones to go, blah, blah, blah. The economy sucks and all this stuff. He kind of did this whole thing. But I respect him for, for making it quick, short and simple, right? And uh, he said, so we're going to, we got to let you go. He said, we have a severance check for you. He said, we, we like you. You've done a great job here and we would be more than happy to give you a good reference um, anytime you need, you know? And so I said, okay, you know, and thanks for the check and thanks for the reference. And I shook their hands and I uh, took that check and I walked out of their office and I went back to my office and I sat down at my desk for a second, and I was, like, about to do a couple things. And then I was like, screw this. Like, my head was just spinning. And I just leave my coffee on my desk, and I just walk out the door and got in my car and just started driving, just driving around, trying to figure it out. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? You know, we got a baby at home, and I just lost my job. And, you know, I look at the check, and it's for $2,500. You know, and I was like, all right, well, that's something. That's better than nothing. Um, and I'm just driving around and I made a few phone calls and stuff, but nobody could talk cause it was Monday morning, you know, and everybody's working and, 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 and certainly nobody's hiring, you know, I was just losing my mind. I was just driving way out West on highway 10. I hadn't called my wife yet cause I didn't know what to tell her. You know, I wanted to give her good news in addition to the bad news, but I didn't have any good news to give her at the moment. And meanwhile, keep in mind, like we still have this baby at home that's screaming and crying and it's just stressful, you know? And we had already lost Micaiah's salary because she quit to be a stay-at-home mom, and now I've lost my salary too. So I make a few phone calls. And at this point in time, my buddy Chris, that I had worked with at MDH and at BCC uh, a couple months before, had left to go to a different company himself uh, to work for a concrete subcontractor that I knew pretty well and we had worked with often. So I call Chris. I finally get him on the phone, and I tell him what happened, and he, he kind of puts me on hold for a second, and he gets back on it. He says, hey, man, come in at 2 o'clock today. 
you know, my boss wants to meet with you. So I was like, oh, thank God, you know, so I've got a, I've got a prospect, right? So I, uh, I drive back home and I, I go home and it's, it's like I walk in the house at like, you know, 11 a.m. And Makai's like, hey, what are you doing here? You know, and I, I'm like, well, um, I got good news and bad news. Um, the bad news is I just lost my job. And the good news is um, I've got an interview at two o'clock today at this other company where Chris works. Uh, and the other good news is I got a check for $2,500. Now, that's better than nothing, but it doesn't really make you feel great in the moment. You know, you're still kind of just drifting in the wind. And, um, but I, I go in to meet um, with Chris and his boss, Robert, at the new place. And, uh, you know, I felt pretty good about that. I, I knew that Chris was going to do everything he could to help me get a job there. And Robert liked me too. And, so anyway, we're sitting there and I'm talking to Robert and, you know, there wasn't much to talk about because he already knew me. He'd been working with me, you know, for a couple of years as the concrete guy. And, and so we just kind of were shooting the shit for a minute. And, um, and, and he said, all right, well, here's what I need you to do. He said, we're trying to um, expand from just concrete and I want to start up a whole project management, you know, general contracting division. And I want to see if you can uh, run that for me um, and at least kind of help get it going. And I said, Robert, I'll do whatever you want me to do. That sounds amazing. I would love to do that. I would be super excited to come and work here. He said, uh, okay, well, that's good. He said, now, uh, one more question. Um, he said, who are you voting for tomorrow? And he just stared at me when he said it. And uh, I kind of laughed and I made a joke because I knew that Robert um, was was not going to be voting for Obama. And uh, I kind of laughed and I said, uh, man, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know if that's legal for you to ask me that in a job interview. And he didn't budge. He just kept it totally straight face. And uh, he stared at me and I said, Robert, if you give me a job, I will vote for Mickey Mouse tomorrow. What, whatever you want me to do, I will do it. <laughs> um, and uh, he said, well, all right. He kind of laughed and everything. And he, uh, he said, well, listen, I can offer you 45,000 a year and you can start tomorrow. And I said, you got a deal, man. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh. I couldn't have been more excited ever. Cause I was getting out of a job. I didn't like anyway. And I was going to be back working with Chris again. And I liked Robert. And the whole environment of the office was like way more chill and laid back. And there was no time constraints. You'd come and go and stuff like that. And, and uh, you know, I still had 2500 bucks in my pocket on this check, you know. And so, uh, you know, I shook their hands and everything and, and went home and told Micaiah, like, I got a job, baby, <laughs> you know. Um, and it was only a $5,000 pay cut. And I was just super, super excited. And so the next day, Tuesday, uh, November 4th, 2008, I go into work at uh, this, this new company and I kind of end up sharing an office with Chris at first because they were still building out an office for me. And, and uh, I was just, it was just so much fun. It was just so much fun. And uh, I was just happy to be there again. And it just felt like a new start, you know. And after work, I stopped by the uh, library and voted for Barack Obama and Joe Biden. And I was super excited to do that. And I went home and me and Micaiah celebrated the new job. And we sat there and we watched the uh, election results roll in, you know. And I remember when they called the election for Obama... I'm excited. I'm cheering. I love the guy. I was very excited to see him, you know, elected and everything. And, and I remember uh, calling my older brother Hunter and he and I had had some conversations about politics and stuff. And prior to this election, I had voted for George W. Bush twice, you know, and I was, I was pretty comfortable with that. And after some conversations with my brother and just kind of the way things had changed, you know, I, I decided, um, you know, I'm going to vote for Obama, you know, and it was cool. I got to call him and say, like, hey, man, um, congratulations. You know, we just elected Obama. This is exciting. And and I said, you know, you you really helped me, you know, come to this conclusion that this was this was the right guy to vote for. And he said, thanks and stuff. It was cool. And, and you know, there's sort of celebrations happening in the streets on the news and everything. And I was just pumped up and excited. You know, I got my new job and stuff. And I told Mikai, like, hey, if, if it's cool with you, I'm going to run down uh, to uh, to the bar and grab a drink and kind of celebrate with people, right? And so she said, yeah, go do your thing, you know. And so I went down to Pizza D's down the street from my house. And it was so cool. By the time I walked in there, uh, the place was jam-packed, crowded. And they were basically just giving away free beers. It was just 
total celebration. And I, I squeeze up to the bar and I get a beer. And by the time I had come in, Obama was out on the uh, podium uh, doing his acceptance speech. And uh, he comes out and he does this beautiful, amazing, awesome, inspiring speech and everything. And Michelle Obama and the girls are there. And, and it was like so exciting. First black president, man, this is so freaking cool. And I remember right when um, uh, acceptance speech ended, they uh, turn on, they mute the TVs. And right then, some genius at Pizza D's uh, hit play on the song, Damn, It Feels Good to Be a Gangster. You know, <laughs> and the whole place just went wild. You know, we're all dancing and high-fiving and, you know, hugging. And it's like, damn, it feels good to be a gangster. <laughs> you know, and it was so cool, man. It was like one of those fun nights where, like, everybody is your friend and you're all celebrating this wonderful victory. And it was so cool. And, uh, you know, I remember, uh, you know, coming home from that and it's just like, all right, you know, life is looking up again. There's some new beginning. This is exciting, you know. And uh, the, um, the excitement did not last long. Because exactly three weeks after I started at the new company with Chris, I was getting ready to go to work one day, and I get a call from Chris at about 7 a.m. He used to get into work uh, really early. He would get there around 7 a lot of times, and I was still like, you know, just getting ready at my house. And Chris calls me. This is literally three weeks after I started. Uh, the date was November 24th, um, 2008, three days after we had our anniversary, and Chris calls me and he says, hey, man, um, don't bother coming in today. The company is gone. We've, we've gone under. And um, he goes, I just picked up my last paycheck, and I've got your last paycheck, and I am driving to your house with it right now. So I'll see you in about 10 minutes. And it was like, what? You know, it's like all of a sudden your life just kind of zooms out, and it's like, oh, my God, you know. And... Uh, after a while, Chris shows up at my house, and none of this was on him. He had only been there a couple months himself, and he, he said, man, this sucks. Um, I hate it, but here's your last check, and he gave it to me, and it was for like a little over $1,000, and I was like, oh my God, like what do I do? And he, he said, here's what I'm going to do today, and I suggest you do the same thing. He said, the first thing you need to do is take this check to the bank and cash it as soon as possible, because... Uh, Robert is broke. He doesn't have his money to pay his bills and everybody's trying to cash checks. You got to cash this check immediately. And the second thing you need to do is drag your ass up into the unemployment office and sign up for unemployment. And it was like, oh my God, okay, that's what I'm going to do. And what I did was I did those two things backwards and that was a huge mistake. So um, I, I went inside, told Micaiah, hey, I'm unemployed again and I've just got my last check and I'm going to the unemployment office because um, the construction industry is not about to come back anytime soon because the economy was a nightmare at the time. And then I, uh, I drove to the unemployment office, which is something that I think every man and every woman should probably do at one point in their lives um, because it is extremely humbling. You go up in there and, you know, actually you can do it all online now, but back then you, 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 uh, you did it in person. And I think they just wanted to, like, look you in the eyes, honestly. And so I drove up in there, and the place is crowded. And to be honest, like, I hate to be judgmental, but everybody that was in there just looked like a person that, you know, wasn't really probably trying very hard to get a job. <laughs> um, I hate to say that, but I walk in, and it was like, oh, gosh, you know, this is this is ugly. Like, there was just so many people in there, and, and they were just, I don't know, man. It was weird. And, uh, you know, so I pull my number, whatever it was, and they call me up and I had to sit down at this crappy computer and type in my information. And then I had to go sit with this lady and tell her my whole situation. Honestly, I was just like an emotional wreck. I'm like in tears and stuff. And the lady was so sweet. She was like, it's okay. It's going to be okay, sweetie. We're going to give you the absolute maximum benefits. You're going to be all right. And here's what you do and blah, blah, blah. So they sent me out and you know, they had approved me and everything and told me what to, what to do next. And, and then I went from there straight to the bank and I, uh, the, the bank where the, uh, paycheck was issued from. And I walk in there and I put it down the counter and I said, Hey, I just need to cash this please. And they said, okay, no problem. They start typing it in. And the lady kind of looks at the screen for a second and and she says, give me just one second. And she walks back to talk to somebody else. And then her boss comes out with her 
And he said, sir, I'm extremely sorry, but we can't cash this check for you. And if you talk to this guy, uh, you need to tell him to call us immediately. <laughs> Which is like uh, another way of saying like, this dude is way overdrawn in his bank account. And there's no way you're getting any money for this check right now. So I was like, oh my God, great. Okay, so um, I take the check, I walk out. Go to the next bank down the street and try the same thing. Ended up going to probably 15 different banks that day, and nobody was going to take this check. And now it's like later in the afternoon. I've been driving to banks all day, and then I decide, like, I'm going to try to take this check to, like, one of those cash advance payday places and, like, see if they'll give me, you know, 70% for it or 50% for it or whatever. Like, give me something for this useless piece of paper. I go to all those places, nothing. Nobody will give me any money for this check. I go to Walmart. I go to the Western Union. I go everywhere I can think of, and I just try every single trick I can think of. Like, hey, I just need to cash this check. Nobody would do it. So now I'm dead ass broke again, and I don't even have a job, and there's nowhere that I can get a job. And I remember the very next day, I, I was going to banks and payday cash places well into the evening, and... Um, and I, I went home and just, just crashed, you know. And the next day I get up and, you know, I call his bank again, still no dice. And so I start making phone calls. I called everybody that I knew in construction and everybody that they knew in construction. And nobody would even let me finish my sentence. They were all like, bro, listen, everybody's laying people off. Um, you know, there are no jobs to be had. And even if there was, there's people out there with 20 years experience or 10 years experience that'll work for what you're trying to work for, um, and, and even less. So like, you are not getting a job, man. And it was, that was that, you know, that was that. And so it was just like devastating. I, there's nothing I can do, you know? And, and here I am, uh, you know, I'm a young father. I've got a wife and a baby. I have no job. I have zero income. I've got a check for a thousand dollars that was useless. We still had some of the money from the uh, $2,500 check that I had gotten from my previous job that I had lost. Um, but, you know, that was not going to last us long, you know. And and it was just, and there was no prospects for me, you know. It was just, it, I, was, I was a man hopeless, you know. And, um, and so I did the only thing I could think of to do, which is I drove back to the office and I thought, you know what, I'm going to go in there and see if there's anybody I can talk to up there. I go up there. The place is basically empty. You know, the the door was open and there was nobody in there. And I look around and there's like one car in the parking lot, but it was pretty clear that there was nobody there. Yeah, I'm kind of looking around and just trying to find somebody, anybody, just to say like, man, I need you to, I need you to give me some money for this check, you know. And uh, nobody was there. And so I go back up to my office that I was sharing with Chris. And we had this giant, like, big screen TV on the wall that we used for um, looking at blueprints, you know, construction plans. But it was this brand new, like, plasma screen TV. And I look at that TV, and I'm looking around, and I think, I'm going to steal this damn TV. And so uh, that's what I did. I, um, I went down to my truck, and I kind of thought through it. And um, I opened the back door on my truck and I laid my seats down in the truck and I went back upstairs and I unplugged the TV and I unplugged it from all the wall and got it out, down off the wall and got it off the brackets and I'm walking downstairs with this TV and, uh, and I get it outside and I have the TV halfway in my car and all of a sudden the owner's dad pops out. He was like in this sort of construction garage thing that we had. And um, he pops out and he goes, hey, 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 what are you doing? And he didn't know it was me at first. And he sees me and he's like, oh, Jacob, hey, what are you doing, man? And I said, well, to be honest with you, man, I'm taking this TV to a pawn shop because you guys owe me $1,000 and I'm broke and I need, I got a, I got a baby, you know. And he said, oh, my God, no, don't do that, man. Don't do that, man. And he talked me out of it. Um, he said, uh, he said, look, man, here's my personal phone number. He said, give me a call tomorrow. I will take care of this, but please don't take this TV. And I said, you got to promise me up and down that you are going to do the right thing here. And he said, I wouldn't lie to you. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not going to leave you hanging. I promise you. Let's just put the TV back and I'll take care of you tomorrow. And so I put the TV back. I set it down in the garage and I said, I'm calling you at eight o'clock in the morning. Um, 
and I'm, and I'm, I'm going to come meet you wherever, wherever you are. And uh, that was a mistake because I called him and called him and called him. He never answered my phone ever again. Um, and those people still owe me a thousand dollars. You know, I've I've gotten over it now, but I still have that check. I still have that same check that was never cashed. But at the time, oh my gosh, I just needed some cash. You know, and so you know, we we had no options. We had no jobs. We had no prospects. The construction industry was imploding, and and I was already like a casualty of it, which was ironic because I still hadn't even finished that last class that I was missing from uh, the year before when I found out that my application to graduate had been denied. It was like my construction career was over before I had even gotten the damn degree, (laughs) and nobody even knew that except for me, Um, and it was just... It's just insanity. And so I, you know, signed up for uh, unemployment and I started getting that going. And it was it was such a nightmare. You had to call in every week and uh, tell them, you know, three things that you had done that week to try to get a job. It, it was like talking to it, it was like talking to my dad when I was like five years old and got in trouble. You know, it was like, OK, what did you do wrong? And what are you going to do right the next time? So I'm calling this guy like, yep, I called these three people and they're not hiring. So can I have my money this week? And I think they were giving me like $600 a week um, or something like that, which, you know, is, it, I was grateful to have it. it. It wasn't much, but it wasn't nothing. And then at the same time, I, I, I did get a job working for a buddy painting houses, a buddy of mine from high school. Um, he was in my wedding and just a good friend. And he was just, he had a, a nice little um, home remodeling and, and painting and carpentry sort of company where it was just him. And so I said, hey, man, can I come work for you? And he said, yeah, man, I'll pay you 10 bucks an hour and we can paint houses together. And so I started doing that with John and, uh, you know, taking the unemployment checks. And and it it was okay, you know. It it wasn't great, but it was something. Um, We put our house on the market. I sold my truck in the newspaper and... uh, that was it, you know. That was that was the end of that year, basically. Um, but before I get to the end, I got to tell you one more story um, because you can imagine what I was feeling like at the end of this year. Um, talk about a gigantic flip from beginning to end. We went from two people with two jobs and no kids to uh, two people with a kid and no jobs. You know, and, and I really wasn't, I mean, I, I had a job painting, but like it was, I wasn't making very much money um, at all. I was, I was not making ends meet. And we had friends kind of helping us out. And my parents were paying my mortgage and my baby's crying all the time. And I just feel like a total failure. I can't provide for my wife, you know. I can't buy, you know, the good groceries that we want. I got to buy the cheap shit, you know. And we're canceling all of our memberships and subscriptions and stuff. And you know, all that stuff is meaningless, but it's also like the stuff that makes you feel like you're a little bit not broke, you know? And all of a sudden we, we don't have like a going out to eat budget and we don't have a order pizza budget, you know? It's like chicken noodle soup and just kind of cheap crap. And that's great, you know? It's like it sustains you and everything, but man, it's hard, you know? It's really, really hard. And I remember I'm in that feeling and and meanwhile, our daughter Emma is just still not sleeping well. You know, she's crying and crying and crying and crying. And I'm just like this ball of crazy emotion and anxiety and and fear and uncertainty. And like, what does the future have for me? You know, and uh, I just wanted to win. I just wanted a victory of some kind. And I felt like I wasn't getting any. And I remember one night, Emma's crying and it's, you know, two o'clock in the morning or something. And Micaiah asked me to go to Walgreens to get something for the baby, you know, and I was like, yep, that's something I can do, right? So I get in the car and I drive to the 24-hour Walgreens. And like, to be honest, it was one of those moments where like the anxiety in your chest is like palpable. It's almost like a balloon, like being inflated inside your chest and it's crowding out all the other internal organs and it just makes you feel like you're going to collapse, you know? And, you know, I don't have much money in the bank, but I can go to Walgreens and get something for the baby, right? And I remember walking into Walgreens, it's 2 a.m., and the automatic doors slide open, and I walk in, and there's a song playing on the speakers in Walgreens. And the song that they were playing was Touch of Grey by the Grateful Dead. 
And I remember just standing there. I walk in, I remember taking like three or four steps in and just stopping and just letting that song just wash over me, you know, that bass line and, and just the, the upbeat tempo and the, the, the major notes and Jerry Garcia singing, you know. And, you know, the, the song says, I know the rent is in arrears. The dog has not been fed in years. It's even worse than it appears, but it's all right. I will get by. Boom, 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 boom. I will get by. I will survive. <laughs> and uh, it was just like, you know what? Fuck misery. Fuck being sad and broken down and dejected all the time. We got to stand up and be alive, you know? What are we doing here if we're not living? And it was just like this unbelievable just spark of brightness, you know, and that balloon of anxiety just got popped and, and it all just kind of melted away. Nothing changed. Nothing changed. The situation was exactly the same as it was before I heard that song. But a little piece of truth popped into my ears through Jerry Garcia singing those lines to me. I will survive. I will get by. We will get by. It's all right. We will survive. And, and it was just like, there's something that truth does to you that changes things without even changing them. Truth is true. And, and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I, it, was just, it was just like a you know, solidification of the will to live and the desire to move and grow and breathe and, and do life to the best of our ability. And I bought the damn shit at Walgreens and went home and gave it to my baby. And, you know, it didn't even solve any problems. You know, we still had all the same problems, but I had my wife and I had my kid and I had my life and I had hopes and dreams for the future. And I believed in some true things that were going to get me through it. And that's what we're going to talk about next time. 2009, I'm still dreadfully, hopelessly broke. And one day in 2009, my car literally bursts into flames right before my eyes while I'm inside of it. And it's burning on the street. And somehow I got a job offer and I still mustered the courage to turn it down. <laughs> what is wrong with me? <laughs> That's what we're going to talk about next time because freedom was calling my name and things are going to be good again. I know it. I believe it. It's true for you. It's true for me. Stick around for next week. We'll talk about it then. I love you guys. Peace out. <laughs>